0: Welcome to this Frequency Matters podcast. I'm Pat Hindle. And today we're gonna talk about 5G new radio FR1 small cells. In our May cover feature, we looked at the architecture of the 5G FR1 small cell based on the common modular approach that the small cell form put forth. Today, I have several guests that helped put together this report. So I'll let each one
1: introduce themselves. We'll start off with Victor. Thanks Pat for the introduction. My name is Victor Torres, I am VP Marketing uh, for ICANA, former Arcana Technologies. We're developing uh, RF semiconductor components for the wireless communication market, including the 5G wireless infrastructure, automotive, and the consumer market. Our main role in the paper has been uh, very much focusing on the radio front-end model. And Martin? Hi, thank you. Uh,
2: Yeah, I'm Martin Laseko, so Chief Systems Architect with PicoCom, where I led the system architecture for the PC802 5G system on chip. I contributed to the SCF251 paper in the sections on baseband and interfacing. uh, And I I also participate in the development of the SCF FAPI specifications, uh, mainly P19, which relates to control of the small cell digital front end.
3: Ahmed? I'm Ahmed Abdurrahman, a staff engineer, systems design engineering in the wireless communications group at Analog Devices. Uh, My contribution to this paper is based on uh, my company's experience in building complete bits-to-beams 5G systems in both the FR1 and the FR2 frequency bands. This includes the RF transceiver units, uh, RF front-end modules, and the digital front-ends.
4: And Michael? Hello there. Yeah, I'm Mike Milnes. I work at Senko Advanced Components. We are a fiber optics connector manufacturer. Uh, My role within the company is product specialist for the wireless range of products. Uh, The contribution we made was primarily, as I mentioned, on the components, on the interfaces, external interfaces. So
0: at the end of last year, the Small Cell Forum released the new report. It was called The Case for a Common Modular Architecture for 5G New Radio FR1 Small Cell Distributed Radio Units. So the report covered the market for small cells and how it's diversifying in many use cases, deployment models, and form factors. And with each scenario having its own connectivity requirements, there's a risk of fragmentation. What risk does this present?
2: Well, yeah, yes, uh, you're right. Uh, small cells are, are diverse. Uh, they range from uh, low to medium power, uh, indoor, outdoor, single multi-band, uh, single and dual mode. Uh, the key for this paper was to understand this diversity and identify a common architecture on which component vendors and OEMs, ODMs can align. Yeah, from
1: my side, I, I believe that the, the biggest risk uh, when you have such a big fragmentation and diversity in, in the market is uh, mainly that uh, it will be very difficult to scale up. And this translates uh, directly to, uh, to having a, a small cells that they are expensive and with the risk, of course, uh, that they will never really uh, become mainstream and they, that they will not really be deployed massively. And that's, uh, that's the biggest, uh, I believe, biggest risk of uh, diversity and fragmentation in this case. And for example, if I think about the uh, Wi-Fi, uh, Wi-Fi sells uh, incredibly well. Uh, we know that the volumes there are skyrocketing, they're very high. And if we compare it a little bit with the small cell, 5G small cells, What we see is that Wi-Fi has a very strong standards uh, and also they are very well defined and uh, in the spectrum and uh, this only helps uh, more and more into uh, the the penetration in the market and acceleration of this technology into mainstream.
4: So from our side, our point of view, the potential issues and risks that we see with fragmentation uh, are, are the following. You could potentially find small cells made up of varying levels of proprietary components which has the potential to cause uh, negative ripples throughout the industry through supply chain, through IP related uh, issues. So from, from we, we think that intermatability will be key here.
0: And so the report says that the risk can be eliminated by creating common platforms based on standard interface, kind of like Open RAN. Uh, what are the advantages and disadvantages of standardization?
2: Uh, okay, so I'll, I'll talk about some of the positives of standardization. Uh, So uh, uh, operators are increasingly seeking to diversify uh, their supply chains. Their networks are hugely complex uh, and the standardization of functions and interfaces is a major tool in driving security of supply and cost efficiency. Uh, So that's working top down. Uh, Working from the other direction, uh, relatively few component vendors are structured to deliver a complete solution. Rather, they seek to innovate and deliver excellence in specific disciplines. So, for example, baseband, mix signal, or well, uh, RF. Uh, in practice, uh, this requires a common view of the platform into which a component will be integrated and interoperability of interfaces between components. Uh, this has been happening for years, and uh, the SCF251 paper uh, is just a snapshot of the current uh, industry practices. But inclusion, in conclusion, I would that standardization of interfaces and a common view of the solution uh, are important across the value chain.
3: Um, Having standardized interfaces allows a combination of best of breed vendors for each component, which will lead to a very powerful solution drawn from a diverse ecosystem. The challenge is ensuring interoperability between each component. So standards need to be well-written and there needs to be the opportunity to partake in things like Black Fests. If you get it right, then it beats an unstandard approach every day of the week.
1: Yeah, maybe to add more uh, from my side uh, and to make it very black and white, okay? Uh, I really believe mm-hmm. that without standardization, it's not possible to improve any process or even technology and to move it forward. But of course, standardization can also have a bad side. And a bad side of it could be also uh, uh, that inhibits, in a way, innovation and inhibits, uh, in a certain degree, uh, differentiation between solutions. But uh, if you overcome this, I think that standardization is really a very powerful tool. And uh, standards, uh, they work very well. And we can see this, as as I give uh, before, the example of the Wi-Fi, for example.
0: And the biggest issue, according to the report, is that the RF front end will be different depending upon the spectrum frequency, output power, and other factors. So how did you overcome this issue?
2: Well, a recurring challenge uh, we faced was uh, related to the cost overheads uh, that uh, modularity adds. So, for example, clickable RF front end are an attractive way of uh, addressing diverse use cases, but this brings with it cost burdens associated with connectors and duplicated circuitry. The market will decide whether this level of flexibility is needed. In the longer term though, uh, we see that RF component vendors will strive to develop solutions which uh, span uh, more use cases with fewer skew.
1: Yeah, so, so basically what we did is uh, we went back to the core of the small cell, to the basics. So uh, we look at the RF front end uh, on, on, on its basic and how to scale it up from there, okay? So we really look at uh, what makes the small cell uh, as a basic and how this could uh, scale up very easily afterwards. So we really analyze very much uh, and we put a lot of effort uh, looking at the, at the basic, uh, let's say, configuration that these small cells should have. And from there, very easy to scale it up uh, with more components, with more antennas and so on. And that's basically how we really focus uh, very much the, this work item. So do you think you struck the best balance between uniformity and diversity
0: with this approach and why? This
1: is a very difficult question. Um, as I said before, we, we started with the basics and from there uh, with the possibility to scale up easily. Uh, we believe also that uh, having a universal interfaces can minimize the engineering efforts uh, when people wants to change quickly the, the frequency band or the power of operation and so on, or even the number of, the, of antennas on it. And uh, it's a challenge work to try to unify all this, but I think that uh, we, we came very close to it, yeah.
2: Yeah, yeah, and I'd like to add, uh, we, we didn't propose a, a single uniform solution in the paper, uh, rather we identified common building blocks across the various use cases. Uh, so we identified baseband, uh, the RFIC, uh, and the RF as key functions. Uh, we also identified Ethernet, PCIe, and JSD204 as key interfa- interfaces for interconnecting these functions. Uh, And so, within this framework, uh, a diverse uh, range of small cell types can be developed.
0: And for the RF transceiver, how did you address both TDD and FDD plus accommodate error correction, calibration, and signal-enhancing
3: algorithms such as crest
0: factor reduction and digital DPD?
3: The RF transceiver device contains individually controlled transmitter and receiver channels, up to 80 channels. Besides, it contains two local oscillators that can be dedicated to different frequencies, to different bands, and each one can be shared between the transmitter and receiver channels. Therefore, each channel can be individually controlled for either TDD or FDD. Moreover, the RF transceiver device has the option for an external oscillator, which can replace one of the internal oscillators in case we need better phase noise performance, as is usually needed for the FDD bands. In addition to that, the transceiver unit contains dedicated observation receiver inputs for monitoring transmitter channel outputs. And it also provides digital signal processing functions, which uses the feedback loop of the observation receiver inputs to implement the error correction, the calibration, uh, the crest factor reduction, and the digital predistortion.
0: So the report first discusses the TDD-RF running configuration. Can you walk us through how the reference design is architected, both
3: the transmit and receive pass, and what assumptions you made in doing it? Uh, first, I'd like to emphasize that the architecture supports the open RAM specifications and is compatible with the 5G new radio characteristics and performance requirements. For example, we follow the 3GPP technical specifications, that provide the frequency bands and the channel arrangement, RF power levels and dynamic range, the channel bandwidth, the unwanted and spurious emission limits, the receiver sensitivity, and so on.
1: Yeah, so in terms of assumptions, uh, the biggest assumption that we took is that uh, we really very much focus on the small cell, which this already gives you a limitation in terms of power levels, also the number of antennas and uh, the frequency range. So having this in mind, what we did is, uh, we look into inside the RF front end from transceiver up to the antenna. We also assume there, uh, when we make the analysis, that some uh, components that they're basic, like attenuators to improve the, the matching between components and also, for example, bandpass filters uh, to, to improve the, the spurious rejection and so on. We didn't include them. So basically what we did is we focus very much on the what we really believe are the key components in the RF front end. Okay. So if we analyze this uh, in particular in the TDD mode, uh, remember that in the TDD mode, you have basically uh, you are transmitting and receiving in the same frequency of operation, but at dif- different time intervals. So when, when we look at the RF front end from the transceiver to the antenna, okay, uh, on the transmit side, the first thing that we, or the first important component that we have is the driver. Uh, typically is connected uh, to a power amplifier model. Uh, in the small cells, since it's low power, we see that these two components are typically 50 ohms in, uh, 50 ohms output match, uh, because it this improve a lot, the, not only the efficiency, but also the, the in, uh, integration inside the small cell. Uh, as soon as you start going at higher power levels, or even you want to use it for massive MIMO and macro cells, uh, what you also see as a trend and typically is that the power amplifier model, uh, it might be that instead of having a 50 ohms output match is uh, partially matched to 30 ohms or 25 ohms or even uh, totally unmatched to, to be able to, to go with a higher output power levels. But for small cells, in particular for indoor and also for outdoor, we see a lot of integration with power amplifiers with 50 ohms in and out. After the, this power amplifier, typically what you see there is a directional coupler. The directional coupler is very useful in order to detect the output power that it goes to the antenna. But also uh, what you can do with this is to try to detect if the power amplifier is working well and is not failing, okay? After the directional coupler, you have a, a circulator, which is an important element for the TDT operation because it has two main functions. One function of the circulator is to protect. The power amplifier from reflections from the antenna can be either a leakage. So you have imagined water uh, going inside the antenna and you have a leakage there and you have a mismatch. Or it can be that somebody disconnects the antenna. And in order to protect the amplifier, you need the circulator. But in the case of the TDD mode, this circulator is also used to receive the signal coming from the antenna. And this goes connected to a switch. So when we look at the receive path of, of the small cell analysis that we make, you have a switch that is connected to one of the ports of the circulator if with if this switch uh switches in the transmit mode goes to a LNA and typically here you have an LNA with a bypass and a normal LNA depending on the the to be able to cope with the differences of uh, power levels that you might have from the antenna so in in certain cases if the level is very high then you bypass one of the LNAs and you don't uh, oversaturate the the, the transceiver and uh, after the LNA uh, stages, you have typically a bandpass filter that connects directly to the, the, to the transceiver.
0: And then the report covers the FDD, RF front-end configuration. How is that different?
1: Okay, so in FDD mode, you have actually that the transmit and the receiver uh, operation is done at different frequencies, but at the same time. So basically here, the biggest difference is in the circulator. As I said before, the circulator in TDD mode has two uh, modes of operation. Here in FDD, basically operates only for protection. And what you see as a main difference is that the, the, the bandpass filter that you have at the antenna is actually a, a deplexer. So you have typically there are two filters, one for the transmitter path and one for the receiver path. And then, of course, uh, as I said before, the circulator has no any more operation on the receive path. So it's typically terminated with a load and then you have the switch that connects to the the two LNA stages connected to the diplexer on the on the frequency on which you are receiving the signal from the antenna
0: and so you also had a very nice table in there with the power budgets how did you determine those for each component
1: so basically what we did there is to to make the power budget we we took a typical configuration from uh, oran and uh, which is uh, for a small cell, which is uh, twenty-four dBm's uh, output power at the at the antenna port. This is one of the most typical uh, small cells uh, output power levels that uh, we find in the market. So we took this as an example. And uh, what we did is be- be- very simple. We went from from the um, from the antenna port down to the transceiver, and we look at the different components uh, that they are part of the front end and how much losses they have, uh, uh, how much uh, of characteristics they need to have. And uh, from there, we calculate the power budget that is needed uh, down from, from antenna down to the transceiver, from the different components that they are part of the rf end.
3: So we can say that uh, the DC power scales with the rf power and the operation mode of either FDD or TDD. And for TDD, the duty cycle also defines the required DC power.
0: And so can you discuss the control interfaces related to the RF end? Because that's an important thing too.
1: Yeah, so in the, in the paper, we mentioned about two main uh, control interfaces. One is uh, what we call the control interface and the other is the monitor. So the control interface mainly does uh, operations like um, changing the switch on the receiver path that we were mentioning that is connected to the circulator, for example. So it switches to transmit mode or receive mode. But the, the control uh, interface also what can do is switch on and off the uh, power amplifier for a protection or to reduce the power and so on. And then the interfaces that is used for monitor is mainly for uh, used to, for example, detect uh, the temperature on which uh, your PA is uh, working, uh, ma- making sure that you have the the, the proper power consumptions uh, in the in your small cell. Also, detecting the how much of reflective signal you have from the antenna. This, with, with all this information, you can do a lot of intelligent work on the small cell in order to protect it or to do different kind of things on which uh, you can uh, outperform the performance of the, of the small cell.
3: So as Vector mentioned, uh, the RFFE control and monitoring signals are between both the RFFE and the transceiver unit and the RFFE and baseband unit. For the RFFE transceiver control lines, they are configured in the automatic gain control configuration on the RF transceiver to control the GPIO lines. Based on the input signal coming from the antenna port, which are also control the gain bypass stages on uh, the RFE's two-stage low noise amplifier. And for the RFE baseband control lines, they provide time-critical control of the RF functions, such as to enable the power amplifiers and the drivers to power the low noise amplifiers on and off, the TXRX switch control that meets the overall TDD switching requirements and also exert a fault condition in the event of a warning or failure event of the RFFE board.
2: Yes, uh, we also identified time GPIO from baseband as being suitable for real-time control of TDD and LNA switches. Uh, Slower control associated with calibration and health monitoring uh, may be implemented using either SPI or I2C, Uh, both methods are very well supported by uh, component vendors. We also identified MIPI-RFFE two-wire interface, uh, which is widely used in handsets as potentially applicable to small cells. Uh, The MIPI-RFFE, it's similar to I2C but operates at much higher speed uh, and importantly uh, includes provision for time accurate synchronized triggering uh, across multiple controlled devices.
0: So in terms of connectors and external interfaces that connect to the small cell radio unit, what are the main pain points that the industry is having and how do you propose to solve it?
4: We understand that the external interfaces and connectors can uh, be an afterthought when it comes to the design of radio units and small cells, uh, given the complexity and the cost that goes into the internal components. Uh, a few of the pain points that we know about um, include things like heat dissipation. You know, the buildup of heat inside of these can can be a can be an issue. And obviously, the, these components can, can aid in that. Um, also, each radio manufacturer already has a supply chain set up, and this can lead to proprietary components uh, being used. This can have an impact uh, both ways, uh, as the manufacturers may be locked into using one supplier, and then are at their behest for lead times, etc. But on the flip side, uh, cost erosion can affect the manufacturers and innovation can possibly be slowed down. So a way to potentially solve this would be if there was a universal sort of base footprint that could be used across the industry, upon which then manufacturers can build upon this by designing unique features while still ensuring the sort of same dimensions and the interface are consistent. This should or could encourage innovation and fits in with really what the small cell forum is looking to achieve.
0: Great. So let's wrap this up with what do you see as the overall trends in the market this year for 5G and the next 3GPP
2: release? The Small Cell Forum produces a market forecast. Uh, This is published twice yearly, uh, and the uh, latest copy uh, identifies uh, a number of trends, uh, which I'll go through in turn. Uh, The first is a focus on 5G small cells, uh, which is being driven by industry verticals. Uh, often combined with edge computing uh, and as part of digital transformation or industry 4.0 strategies. Then we have MNO5G densification. uh, And this is happening in China, uh, North America, Japan, Taiwan. And it's it's coupled with the availability of new new spectrum. Uh, We have virtualized RAM uh, combined with uh, small cell form factors which are new, that's a trend and advanced systems for network automation, uh, so that's automated planning, optimization, and orchestration. A big theme is open multi-vendor, uh, an open multi-vendor ecosystem, and we have the rise of network sharing and neutral host models. Uh, finally, there's uh, millimeter wave, or as 3GPP calls it, FR2, uh, which uh, we believe will become increasingly important by the mid-2020s.
1: Yeah, so from, from system point of view, uh, what we observe from the market is that uh, there is an increased need of, uh, of uh, having more carrier aggregation in order to elevate the, the data transmission and increase coverage and capacity. That's one of the trends that we see. Another trend that we see is that more and more we see uh, small cells with a uh, multi-frequency. So they cover different uh, frequency bands inside a small cell. So we see a dual, dual band, uh, three band, and so on. So that's also another interesting trend. In terms of components, uh, what we see, for example, for the power amplifiers, which is one of the key components uh, for the RF front end in the small cell, we see that uh, the market is asking for more broadband amplifiers. So, amplifiers that they cover uh, wider uh, frequency bands of operation, which goes again back to uh, that uh, uh, integrator, system integrators, they are looking for solutions on which they they don't need to change so much components. So with the same component, they can cover multiple frequency bands, uh, multi countries and so on. We also see uh, at component level, very important also a trend that we see, uh, more integration. Uh, people is asking for more integration inside the PA. Uh, they would like to have uh, more functionality of the PA integrated. So that's also another trend that we see uh, getting more and more in, in, into the small cells and particularly in the components that they are part of the small cells.
3: I think both this year and in the next three uh, GPP release, we will see a lot of attention on making 5G networks more sustainable. There are already a lot of great features in the standard to allow for reduced power consumption in the network, but there is always uh, room for more innovation.
1: Yeah, so maybe to close it up here, uh, Patrick, also what we see is that more and more, uh, the 5G is moving to higher frequencies. Uh, not only for FR1, but also for FR2, which means uh, more uh, higher frequencies, more bandwidth, and so on. So we're moving more to the FR2 uh, wall with millimeter wave. And uh, this paper that we, that we write down is more focusing on the reference design for FR1, small cell for sub-6. And actually, uh, online with the trend that we see uh, with FR2 and millimeter wave, we are also thinking in the future to start collaborating together again and uh, write down a similar paper, but in this case, focusing uh, 100% in the to a millimeter wave uh, part of it. Great. I look forward to reading that.
0: Well, thank you, everybody, for talking with me today about a common modular architecture for 5G new radio FR1 small cell distributed radio units. I appreciate everyone's insight into this topic, and we'll follow the progress as this effort goes forward. To our audience, you can find more podcasts at podcast.microwavejournal.com. Thanks for listening.